what hidden investing is about is about 10 myths of investing, giving you a couple of them. And that over my life, in my experience, I believe that they are false. And what the reality is about those myths and how I overcame them and how you can too. Hi, you're listening to Ready to Scale, the second season of That Really Happened. This season is focused on APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. Each guest on the show will reveal the assets they invest in and why they chose to do so. From multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate, from co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to Ready to Scale. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors who partner with me on my deals. If you're thinking about investing passively in real estate and want to learn how to evaluate a deal, I created a free guide that walks you through the top five critical deal components that any passive investor must examine. You can find it on my website, www.elliepearlman.com. So my guest today is my good friend, Holly Williams. So Holly is the principal of MQ Ventures and KeepMore.com. She's a general partner in over 200 million of multifamily properties. Holly has more than 20 years of investing experience, including single family homes and multifamily properties all across the U.S., New Orleans, upstate New York, Texas, Tennessee, Florida, and South Carolina. Holly holds a BA and an MA in Advertising Communications from Texas Tech University and was named Outstanding Alumni of the College of Media and Communications in 2011. Holly is, in addition, an author of the book Hidden Investing, What the Wealthiest 1% Know That We Don't. And today, Holly joins me on the podcast for the second time. Hey, Holly, welcome to the show again. Ellie, so good to see you. I'm here in quarantine in upstate New York. It's crazy times, right? Yeah, absolutely. Last time we were talking, that was, I think, over a year ago. And, you know, Holly and I, we go way back. We're we're good friends. We both share passion for exactly for multifamily. We're partners also on a deal together. So it's really interesting to see, you know, you and where you are today. You wrote a book, invested more in multifamily since, you know, we've spoken last time. And last time you were part of the previous season when I was interviewing real estate investors, talking about their stories and how they got started in real estate. And you had a very interesting story on how you discover the benefits of real estate investing. And maybe that's a good place to start. If you can just talk a little bit more about your background and what led you to where you are today as a real estate investor. Sure. So, you know, we are formed. We have beliefs about money, about everything. But money is certainly, you know, one of those. And we're taught a lot of things by 
society by advertising, you know, we're bombarded. And, and I grew up in a middle-class family and in the suburbs of Houston. And I was told, you know, go do well in school, get a job, put the most you can in your 401k. You know, your biggest asset is your home. And along the way, I watched my parents do the same thing, right? We learned from our from our parents and our surroundings and watched all my friends do the same thing for the most part, right? And, you know, I was fortunate. I ended up getting into the advertising world, into the market research community, got a job offer in 1990, believe it or not, to come to New York. It was only supposed to last a year and they were going to move me back down to Dallas. And that was, I've never left. So, you know, I had a great career and things, you know, when I first started out, I was filling out the 1040 EZ form, right? And didn't need to know too much. But about, you know, 10, 15 years later, 15 years ago or so, I found myself paying half of what I made in income tax. And at the same time, I watched my parents get older and older and there were myths. You know, what I know now are myths that I learned about about money and about investing. And one of those is that your income is going to go down when you retire. Unless you're willing to downsize into a little bitty condo and stay home, no, that's not what's going to happen. What happens 99% of the time is people want to travel, people want to be with their grandkids, people want, you know, and, and then you get sick. Because that's what happens. If you're lucky in this life, you get sick and you get old, <laughs> right? None of us get out of this alive, right? <laughs> so I watched my parents, basically what wealth they had, go to the government. Because when you take money out of that 401k, you pay 100% tax on it. And I watched them worry in their old age. And there had to be a better way. You know, I, I swore that that was not what I was going to make my daughter go through because I found sad things, you know. My dad found, I was going through their things, I found he had written, he was like doing math on how long he could live there with, before he had to get rid of the house. And I mean, it was just terrible stuff. So, and I was paying people under the table so he wouldn't know. <laughs> it's just crazy stuff. And I just, it broke my heart and I didn't, I don't want that to happen to my daughter or any of my friends because we're told things that aren't necessarily lies, but they're myths. Things like, you know, trust the experts and put all your money, your 401k, you know, when people think in our heads that that 401k, if I've got a million dollars in it, and if the stock market returns 10% a year, whatever average, I'm going to make 80 grand a year. So they think they're all sitting pretty with their 80 grand a year. And that's not what's going to happen because the stock market goes up and down and up and down and up right. and down while Wall Street gets richer and richer. And if you have to sell the asset, which you do with the stock market, you have to sell it to get the money, then it's gone. You That's have to right. sell the asset to make the money and then it's gone. And so, so many people, we've seen it, especially in the last two months where, you know, it's really a nail biter and we are, we are giving our entire retirement 
hopes and dreams to people that readily tell us that they don't know what's going to happen either. And what happened to me was I discovered multifamily investing a couple of years later after my parents had passed away, I began open because it's about mindset. It's, it's a, this whole thing is about being open to a better way and getting rid of, or at least putting on the shelf, some of the things that we are bombarded with in the system, the myths that we are told about investing. And so what hidden investing is about is about 10 myths of investing, giving you a couple of them, and that over my life, in my experience, I believe that they are false. And what the reality is about those myths and how I overcame them and how you can too. And I want to go back to those myths and, you know, when we talk about the strategy part, I would want to talk about it later, but I want to kind of go back to what you said earlier. You said, I discovered multifamily and I started investing. Can you kind of describe your path from discovering that until where you are today? So I knew something was wrong. That's the first thing. First thing you have to realize is that something's wrong with the system right? When you go into a calculator, a retirement calculator, the first thing it asks you is how long do you want to be retired, right? How long are you going to live? So the whole system is designed for us to die broke, not to build generational wealth. So the first thing that I had to do, and when I saw that happen to my parents, you know, that's when I really believed that what we're told is not the whole story. So then I began to, my mind was open. And then a friend told me, because you have to know somebody because it's a club. Right. A friend told me, he called me and he said, I've found an apartment complex and I want to, I'm looking for investors to help me buy it. I'm going to do all the work. You're going to invest. We're going to get a bunch of other people that I know to invest. And then we're going to all share in the profits. And we're also going to be able to realize the benefits of buying real estate, but you don't have to do any of the work. See, I had read a book also by Robert Kiyosaki called Rich Dead, Poor Dead many years ago. And that had opened my mind, but it was about real estate investing. So I believe that real estate is the greatest thing, the greatest investment, and the steadiest. And it's slow and steady. This is pedestrian if you do it right. If you're buying for cash flow, it's very boring, right? It's very simple. People move in, you collect the rent, you pay all the expenses, and then what's left is profit. And the government incentivizes us to do a lot of this stuff, and so they give us tax breaks, which make it even better. So I went from, with multifamily syndication, I already had a couple of rental properties, but all that's a lot of work, right? It's hard to... Yeah. If you've got a real career and you've got a job that you don't dislike, I was having a, a good time, you know, it's very difficult to do what Robert Kiyosaki's talking about in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, although he's exactly right. I know now. He's exactly right. Yeah, that's right. It's a really good book. And I think it opens up many people's, you know, eyes about what the opportunities that are out there and how you can really build wealth. And a lot of people are, okay, they understand that. Now, 
taking the the next step and actually doing it, that's the real challenge. So you you've discovered the you know multifamily. You started investing in today. You're a partner of over you know two hundred million in in real estate in multifamily. Multifamily deals. That's great. And I began、um, to move money from the stock market and invest in、mm-hmm. multifamily syndications. And I probably moved seven hundred thousand dollars over six years. Kept my W two job and just kept reinvesting and reinvesting. So instead of in a mutual fund where I was paying, you know, that ten ninety nine you get every year,、mm-hmm. you know, says, oh, I've made X amount of money. Well, you're paying taxes on all that money. I've discovered. I used to just, oh, aren't I doing great? It was like a good thing. It's not a good thing because when you get that ten ninety nine, you're going to pay capital gains taxes on on it, and when it、right. starts to be real money. When I got the sixty five thousand dollar ten ninety nine, and I didn't take any money out, and I owed twenty five grand in capital gains tax, that's when I really woke up. So I don't do that anymore. I get money in my pocket, and I get most of the time, ninety nine percent of the time, I get a loss on paper because of all the incentives that the government gives us to invest in real estate. And that's a great segue to talk a little bit about the strategy of investing like the one percent, and that's basically what you discuss in your book. So, Holly, what does the one percent know about real estate investing that most people don't know? Most of us are are trained to think about income, and I always my goal was to always get the highest paying job I could get, or whatever, and so. It's all about income. Even this latest thing with the the coronavirus, you know, it's all based on your ex- adjusted gross income to get the stimulus stuff. All of that, but you see, the wealthy don't think as much about income as they think about building wealth. And there's a huge, big difference. So if you invest in cash flowing assets such as real estate. You can get paid, but you don't necessarily have to pay the taxes right then and there. The government allows you to to do a, a lot of things to because they want you to incentivize us. See, the tax code is not meant to tell us how much tax we're going to pay. The tax code is meant to tell us what the government wants us to do,、mm-hmm. so that we can do those things and stimulate the economy. You see, so people think, oh. You know, all these realists—all these rich people—are like gaming the system, and they're ta- da da da. They're not, they're not actually. They're following the law. Like, who would not agree that in the United States of America we should follow the laws of the land? That's right. And the thing that you don't have to be wealthy. To invest like the wealthy, and that's basically what you're teaching people. When we have the information, you see, for years and years we didn't have the information. The information is there now, and people who are listening to your podcast can reach out to you. They can reach out to me. They can reach out to a lot of different places. It's really not hard to find. They can go to keepmore.com. They can go to a lot of places, read my book, Hidden Investing, and give you a lot of places that you can go to find out how the wealthy think. Because that's what it is. It's really a mind. I can't stress that enough. It's it's really about letting go of how we're programmed. We are programmed to think that the financial advisor knows best, and 
all of them don't know best. So we're investing with people that aren't walking the walk. And what I like about multifamily syndication and the way we're doing it is that it's really a lot of people that know each other that get together and we all buy an apartment complex. We're doing nothing different than a real estate investment trust on the market. You can go into your TD Ameritrade or whatever and you can buy what's called a REIT. And a REIT is a mutual fund that invests in real estate. So we're buying many of our apartment complexes from REITs, from hedge funds, from big institutional investors that are making boatloads of money. They've got big offices on, down on Wall Street or whatever, and they're taking tremendous fees. And so what we do in real estate in a private syndication is we share all of that. We share the profits. We share, everybody makes money, but nobody gets, you know, nobody's a hog about it. You know, somebody, what do they say? Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. I want to be a fat pig, not a... <laughs> but that's a beautiful way of describing how, how that works differently than, than a REIT and, you know, how you basically provide people the opportunity to invest like the wealthy, like the 1%. But let me ask you this, Holly. So and the hedge funds that used this used to, you know, you used to have to have a 30 million. Well, you do. Like if you want to go to Goldman Sachs and get a wealth management account with them, you can, you yeah. A $30 million net worth. That's my understanding. I wouldn't know because I don't have that, right? And it's secret, right? <laughs> but, you know, those are the types of, of investment vehicles that are investing typically in these large garden style apartments that are cash flowing, mm -hmm. that are actually fairly stable. And, and as we've seen during this coronavirus, it's, it's been amazing how stable it's been so far. Yes, absolutely. And, and speaking of COVID, what do you see around you, the 1% the that you know so well, how does their strategy change during, you know, an economic crisis, especially, you know, around COVID where, you know, it's kind of peak COVID times and some investors are a little bit afraid to invest or hesitant. What do you see on your end from that 1% of the, the wealthiest people in America? What do they do now? So many of them are keeping a large cash position. That's true. Many of them are calling me trying to invest in, in multifamily because the way, you know, if you, if you can buy real estate for cash flow and the numbers work now, they're going to work. I mean, it doesn't get, the economy hasn't gotten much worse than this, right? Right. They turn the news off for the most part. Mm. They don't listen to, you see, we're told uh, everybody's got an agenda in everything in this country. And, you know, so the news media is not going to report on the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of people who are doing private investing that are reputable and in it for the long haul and will crawl over broken glass before they'll, you know, let's let their investors go, you know, without mm -hmm. it, you know, but they tell you all about Bernie Madoff. They'll tell you, this is what we do. Yeah, exactly. Cause you know why? Because fear sells and headlines saying third or 40% of renters are not going to pay. Nobody's paying rents, but that was all over the news. But the hard facts, when you're looking at the numbers by the end of April, that 
you know, 90, was a 93, 95% of households of renters actually paid their rents. Where are those headlines? Nowhere, because good headlines don't sell in times of fear. In times of fear, if you sell more fear, then you're, get, you're making a lot of money. But it's just, just my opinion. Wealthy think about things logically. Some of the things right. that I've just said, if you really think about putting all your eggs in a, in a place where you don't know what's going to happen, you know, you don't even know what the risks are when you buy an Apple stock a share of Apple stock. You really don't. I mean, you can say that, but you really don't know what the market share in all countries are and what trade agreements have to do. Don't know what their profit margins are. Don't know what the competition is like in 172 countries all over the world. You know, there's just a ton of things that you just honestly don't know. When I invest in an apartment complex, I know all those things, right? I know a whole bunch of them. I know how many people are in there now, how many people are paying the rent, what the market's like, what, the, what we're doing to mitigate those risks. You know, so you're able to, because you're closer to the situation. You have, it's like the game of telephone, right? You invest in a, in a mutual fund, you've got to go through TD Ameritrade or Fidelity or whatever, then it's got to go through three layers of management, then it's got to go through the person actually managing the fund, then it's got to go through three other people to where you finally talk to Tim Cook. Somebody is talking to Tim Cook, but not me, who's buying, who's investing in it, right? So that's part of the issue. And everybody along the way has their agenda and they're all getting paid. And by the time it gets down to, to us, we're conditioned to believe that that 10% is good, but it's the wealthy know that it's, it's really not that good. A 10% mm -hmm. average return is really not that good. It's not terrible, but it's not good. Yeah, you can do much better. And then if we switch a little bit and talk about the process, how does the 1% invest in real estate? I mean, what's the process? If someone says, okay, I have 100K, 200, 300K, maybe I'm not wealthy, but I have a little bit of savings. I want to grow my money, the money that I have, like the 1%. What's the process? What are the first steps that that person, you know, needs to take? Well, if you're to listening do? to this podcast, you're ahead of the game already. The second thing is, you know, I would read everything I could. You can analyze till you're so you miss everything. So don't do that. But as a basic, everybody should have read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Agreed. <laughs> everybody should read and investing. Everybody should have been to your website. Everybody should be subscribing to your podcast. And, you know, these are real people that you're interviewing that, that you have on your podcasts. And so they're real people that you can reach out to. You know, so I would learn about, about that. That's a great place to start. Most of the really, really 0.5% and up, you know, are the ones that really have the family offices. They have, right. you know, that they have the access to higher placement on the food chain so that they're closer to Tim Cook, if you will, right? They're not going on to their E-Trade account like we are and buying stocks. But even then, I'm not sure if they can talk to Tim Cook and have a conversation about you know, the value of their stocks. I'm sure that he would probably take Warren's call. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think that traditionally that and their representatives are the people that have, that, you know, handle the money of the top 
people. And, and the information now is out there and the laws have changed over the years. And if, if you're an accredited investor, which that's one hurdle you have to go step over at some point probably, but if you're making $200,000 a year or higher, you're an accredited investor. And if you're close to that, you probably are too. And you know, in today's dollars, that's not much, that's not a huge hurdle to overcome, but I, I was an accredited investor for years and didn't know what that was. So there's just a lot of education because nobody wants us to know because your financial advisor ain't going to tell you, you know, because everything that you don't, when you don't buy that annuity, which one of my investors did, but $500,000 into an annuity pays 4% guaranteed, right? Anybody that tells you guaranteed anything run, the wealthy exactly. know this. Exactly. You can't guarantee anything. Don't believe it. That's true. That's true. There's a lot of golden nuggets that you've, you know, given us throughout the podcast. And that's a, a great intro into how the wealthy, the 1% thinks and how they invest in, you know, I think there's a reason why a lot of people don't know about it and, you know, mainly educating themselves about how the wealthiest do it. Cause the wealthiest are not going to sit down and talk to you and tell you, Oh, this is how we make money. They don't have time for it, even if they want to. And it's on you to get the information. If you listen closely, Ellie, they are. But how many times have we heard Warren Buffett say that his mm. tax rates are lower than his secretaries? How many times have we heard Bill Gates say that, you know, all of the things, you know, he says the same kinds of things. Um, Donald Trump on the debate stage said we should get rid of carry forward interest. He said that, but Congress didn't, you know, didn't get into that idea very much because they're all invested in multi no, you're right yeah no you're right we didn't need to read between the lines that's for sure well that's almost all the time that we have today we have a few more minutes for the lightning round questions so let's begin what's your favorite hobby scuba diving scuba diving okay where were did you scuba dive like before the, the virus hit everyone? Oh, not anywhere right before the virus because I have a kid. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so, yeah. So last time I dove was probably a, within the last year in Tobago. Ooh, Tobago. Interesting. Never been there. What's the one thing that people don't know about you? Mm, I don't know because I'm pretty open. You are. Yes. Ask me if there's something that you think you don't know, I'll tell you. <laughs> All right. What do you wish that you had known when you started investing in real estate? If you could kind of look back. That I know more than I thought I knew. And that if it to trust your gut and if it sounds, we're programmed to think a certain way about money. And so when I tell you that 10% is not very good, you automatically, or at least I, automatically go back and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You can't, it's too good to be true if you're making this kind of thing. But ask those questions, really look at what's going on and really look at those investments that are making 10%. And there are all kinds of hidden fees in there. There are all kinds of, trust me, there are all kinds of fees in there. And, and, you know, read a mutual fund terms and conditions and, and you have to ask the company specifically to send it to you. They don't even make it available, but That's every one of them that I've seen has been at least an inch thick and it's pretty scary. 
<laughs> All right. Well, Holly, if someone wants to reach out to you, chat with you, discuss investing, or you know, ask about the book, where can they find you? Sure. Holly at keepmore.com. Keepmore.com is my website, and the book is called Hidden Investing, and you can reach me at hiddeninvesting.com also. All right. And Holly is H-O-L-L-Y. There's no E in there. All right. Perfect. Well, Holly, thank you so much for joining us today from upstate New York. Take care and I hope to see you soon. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.